So we're starting a new series. It's the new year. And every year we try to go back to the basics. We try to go back to who we are as a people and what we want to accomplish in this world. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at our mission and vision and values. And today we're going to look at part of our mission. Now, if you're new, you might not have picked up on it, but every service we, we put up on the screen and we talk about our mission. And our mission is to help others encounter Christ, experience real community, biblical community, and then take whatever you receive, especially in the context of Sunday morning, and go extend the kingdom in your personal sphere of influence. We want to encounter Christ, experience community, and extend this kingdom. We believe that these three things are, are the mission, or the, the, the vehicle by which we, we win this city. They're the way that we, we accomplish what God has put before us as a church to, to help people come into the relationship with Jesus Christ and ultimately to see God glorified in the DMV area. So today, we're going to consider what our response ought to be when we encounter Christ. First of all, what does it look like to encounter Christ? And then what is our proper response when we encounter Christ? Now, we're going to read out of Luke chapter 19, um, verses 1 through 10. But right before we get there, I just want to give you some context. In, in the book of Luke, Luke is giving us a number of pictures, and he goes through a number of par, uh, parables to kind of paint pictures of sinners, of, of, of God, how God interacts, what his disposition is towards sinners. And you've probably heard of the, the parable of the prodigal son. And actually, before the prodigal son, you get the, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the, the prodigal son. So J- Jesus tells these parables, and he's saying, you know, what if you lost one sheep? What would you do? And he get, tells this story about a shepherd who goes and leaves the 99 to find the one. The point being that he cares about the one so much that he would go to great lengths to get them. Then he talks about this coin that this poor woman loses. It's, it's very valuable, and so she spends all her time looking for the coin and rejoices when she finds this coin. And then the, the parables, they, they culminate, the apex is this idea of this prodigal son who goes, he, he leaves his father, takes his father's inheritance, even while the father is uh, alive, basically treating him like he's dead to him, goes, squanders it all on, on wild living, and then realizes he, he can't live that way any longer, tries to go back to his father as a worker, and his father receives him as a son. And so Luke recounts these stories, and then after that, he gives this story. He also recounts the story of a, um, a Pharisee praying and a, a tax collector or a publican, if you're into the New King James or the King James, rather not New King James, but King James. Anyways. Um, and he talks about these two guys who are praying, the, the tax collector and, and the Pharisee. And the Pharisee's praying and he's saying, thank God that I'm not like that guy. Thank God that I'm awesome, that I tithe, that I obey all the laws, that I, I do all the things. And, and you have the tax collector, and he's just saying, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me. And Jesus goes, and he basically says, this guy over here, the tax collector, walks away justified because his trust and his faith is not in his own ability, but it's in God. Now, all of these things were happening textually before the chapter we get to. And then we get to this person, Zacchaeus. So I wanted to give you that to frame what we're about to read. If you could stand with me. We're going to read the word of God together. We're going to read Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. 
He entered Jericho and was passing through. That's Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see for who, who he was about to pass by the way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, For behold, the, the Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you sent your sons that we might encounter him, that we might come into his presence and be changed and transformed in a moment. And Lord, I pray that, that right now, by your Holy Spirit, Jesus, you would be present, that we would experience your presence, that we would encounter you in your word, and that we would see our place in this story. Individuals like Zacchaeus in need of a savior, perhaps even seeking out a savior, but seeking out a savior who's already been seeking after us. Father, I pray that we would trust in the one who has come to seek after sinners like us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh, thank you. So Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem and he stops off in Jericho. Jericho is one of these, it's a wealthy border city. There's a lot of commerce that goes on and and that kind of leads into this whole idea that, that Zacchaeus was a rich man. If it's a border city and there's, there's merchants there and, and things happening, there's a lot of tax, tax collecting that's happening. And so even though Jesus is passing through, it says, it uses even those words, I'm passing through, uh, he, he still has a purpose and a, an appointment there. And if you're anything like me, we, we can learn from that because a lot of times I'm, I'm focused on the thing that I'm focused on. And I don't know if you've ever been like, we've got to get to church, come on. Or, you know, let's go worship God. And you're like, we're passing through. But there's something about Jesus that has a, a presence, a recognition that even in the process of, of passing through, there's, there's a presence of God and a purpose and a mission of God to be accomplished in, in whatever context that you find him, yourself in. And so he's, he's passing through. He doesn't need to wait in a moment to, to do ministry and, and this is good news for us because that means that for any of us who are in need, we don't have to wait until the right moment for God to, to do something. We don't have to wait until Sunday to repent. You, know, you don't have to wait until, okay, well, Jesus is going to be in, in the, the, the Jerusalem of Grace Covenant Church on Sunday. So I'm going to wait until Sunday. And before then, I'm just going to, no, 
You can talk to God on Monday. You can repent to Jesus on Tuesday. You can, you can address him on Wednesday. You can crack open that Bible on Thursday. You can change your life on Friday. You can turn and repent to him on Saturday. You can do all of these things. He is willing to meet with you on the way. And he had a plan to meet with someone. And in the following verses, we see with whom he was going to meet. It says in verse two, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. It's a Jewish name. It's related to Zechariah. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. I love, I just like that detail. Just if anyone was curious, he's rich. Um, It's worth noting because earlier, again, earlier in Luke, Jesus had had an interaction with another young rich man who had come to him and said, hey, I've done all the things. I'm I'm holy, I've obeyed the law, and and clearly he had a pretty high view of himself. I'm blameless, which, I mean... Put yourself in that situation. Jesus is here, and you come to Jesus and say, what else do I need to do? <laughs> like, I, I recognize that I can be a prideful person, but that's, that's bold. <laughs> and so this, this young man is rich, and, and Jesus says, well, sell all your, your goods and, and go. And he ends up not repenting. He says, you know, it's tough. And he, he walks away sad because he doesn't want to give up his goods. Now, that intentionally came before this story of Zacchaeus, another man who was a tax collector and rich. Not only is he a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. So he's the, he's the manager of the tax collector. He's got some, you know, he's the broker. He's got some guys working for him, but he's the main guy. Uh, he, he's got people who are paying dividends to him. <coughs> Excuse me. He's a tax collector. And he goes on and he talks about how in verse 3, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. Again, a wonderful way of saying he was short. <laughs> he was small of stature. There's some possibility that it meant that he was young, but, but most commentators go along with the, the story. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Did you guys learn that? He climbed up in a sycamore tree to find out what he could see. See what he could see. Yeah, good, good times. We all went to a VBS. Uh, he, was a, he was a short man and, and it's there because that, that gives him reason for, for climbing up in that tree because ultimately he was a curious man. He had heard about this Jesus. It's interesting how he puts it, how Luke puts it. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. He wasn't just interested in the, the pomp and circumstance of the situation, just I want to see what's happening. He wanted to see who this guy was. Maybe he'd heard about the miracles. Maybe he'd heard about some of the parables that had upset the Pharisees. Maybe he'd heard how, how Jesus had met with other tax collectors. You know, Luke mentions several other occurrences, uh, at least one other occurrence where, where there's a tax collector that Jesus meets with. And Jesus certainly talks about tax collectors, like I talked about in that, in that parable between the Pharisee and the, the tax collector and their prayer. And it, and it puts the tax collector, the sinner, in the eyes of the Jewish people, the, the sinner in the positive light. And so he's curious. He's like, this guy, you know, we might hang out. I'm kind of curious to see what he's like. I got a lot of money. We'll throw a party. It'll be fun. He's a rich man. He's a tax collector. He's a short man. He's a curious man. And so he... He goes and climbs up in the tree. He ran ahead. He ran ahead of the crowd, crowd and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him for what was about to pass that way. But the interesting thing is, 
as this is all happening, there's something, you got to imagine that in Jesus' mind, he's, he's planning, he's preparing, he's thinking ahead, and he, he comes up to Zacchaeus, again, you're, you're walking along, and in, in Jericho, these were kind of wide roads, it was kind of spread out, it was a nice area, uh, but, but there was a great crowd, and, and yet Jesus is able to pick him out in the tree, and in verse 5 it says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up at him, which would be a hilarious just interaction, just for the Son of God to like look up at you, and you look up at him, and, and, and if you feel like this is awkward, like a man standing in a tree to go see someone, it's because it's awkward. It's not like, oh, in, you know, in first century Jerusalem and, you know, the ancient Near East, it's, it's not awkward for a man to climb into a tree to see things. No, it's awkward, right? That's why Luke says he's short. He climbed to a tree because Luke's like, that was awkward. And so they, they have this interaction in verse 5, and Jesus says this astounding thing. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, the language there suggests not just, hey, let's go and have tea for an hour or have coffee for an hour. I just want to have a quick one-on-one chat with you. No, he, he wants for Zacchaeus to host him. He, he's interested in, in Jack Zacchaeus taking him and, and feeding him and, and having him stay the night, which, again, I'm so glad it was like Zacchaeus and not me. You know, Jesus, you want to come over? Okay, give me about four hours. <laughs> Let me go call some people and we'll, we'll get things set up for you. But he, he says he wants to see him. Now, we don't know if it's prophetic. Maybe, maybe Jesus knows Zacchaeus because Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's also the second person of the Trinity. He knows a few things, so he knows Zacchaeus that way. Or maybe he, he knows he's going to be there because he's heard about Zacchaeus. Maybe his, his uh, person, persona has been talked about. We don't know exactly, but, but he knows Zacchaeus. And, and this, this is important because this is not just true of Zacchaeus. This is true of everyone in this room. Maybe you've come to church and someone kind of cajoled you to come to church, convinced you to trick you, said, oh, it's going to be a great party. It's going to be a good time. And then you come and you're like, this, I, I wondered about an early morning party. I thought that this was going to be something completely different. <laughs> or maybe, maybe you come, but you, you, know, you haven't come expecting a whole lot. You, know, you, you go to church and you're thankful for church and you get to see friends and family that are donuts, but, but you haven't come to expect a whole lot here. And what I would say is that Jesus knew you were going to come. He was prepared for you to come. And he wants to have an appointment with you. I don't know if he's going to have lunch with you and stay at your house today, but he wants to meet with you. Jesus knew about Zacchaeus. And Jesus calls Zacchaeus down. And he says, hurry for I'm going to stay at your house. He, he, he requires a response from Zacchaeus. He requires a response from Zacchaeus. Now, Jesus is an interesting person because he, there are a lot of people that you can learn about, and if you've studied history and you're not a history buff, that's kind of how we treat history, right? They exist on the pages of a book, and you see them, and then you go back on Facebook. You know, you, you, you know about uh, uh, such and such general or such and such president or such and such ruler or such and such a chemist, or whatever your, your historical interests are, but they exist outside of you. And for the most part, they don't demand any sort of response from you. But when you encounter Christ, there's a response that's demanded upon your life. If there's an implicit demand to see and believe and receive and obey. 
When you come in contact, in contact with, with the creator of the universe, you don't just see him and you say, oh, okay, well, I'm gonna go back to Facebook. No, there's a response that's, that's required of us. And when we come to this Bible, when we're reading the Bible, the, that's one of the things that, that makes this book different from other books. Again, you can read whatever book you're interested in and, and you can put it down. And for the most part, it, it's a book that lives there. But this is a book that, that reads you. It's a, it's a book that calls out to you. In, in places, in, in Hebrews it says that the Bible is it's sharper than any double-edged sword and it, and it cuts to the, to, between bone and marrow, separating parts of our lives, helping us to see things, demanding that we respond in particular ways to other things. And maybe you've read it, you've read certain things, you're like, oh my goodness, this Bible's reading my mail. How did, how did David know? Or you're, you're going through a tough time, you're like, oh, this is so helpful and encouraging, as you sob. But, but when you encounter Christ, when you encounter God, he requires a response. And so, how does Zacchaeus respond? Look at verse six with me. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He hurried, he came down, and he received him joyfully. I heard this, this phrase from some friends who were kind of telling us about what parenting looks like when we were first starting to parent, and, and they had said, this is what we do, and this is what we require of our children. Obedience is this. You obey sweetly, completely, and immediately. And I was like, that's really helpful. Because that's not what I do. No. Um, <laughs> no, it, sweetly, completely, immediately. And, and when, when Jesus tells him to come down, what happens? Zacchaeus obeys. He obeys sweetly, immediately, and completely. This is a proper, obedient response. And, and it says that he did so joyfully. And we're going to get on to his, his response, but you can begin to see that Luke is hinting at a change that's happening in this young man. Or we don't know how old he is, but there's a change that's happening in his soul. He's responding with joy. He's seen Jesus and, and, and he's excited. Now, maybe you're at church and, and when you think of Jesus, maybe you hear the name of Jesus, you're not necessarily filled with joy. Maybe you're filled with this sense of condemnation or anger or, or you, I've had so many conversations recently with individuals who they, they struggle with church and I think that they would say not because of Christ but because of Christ's followers and they've been hurt, they've been broken and so when they think of Jesus they associate him with, with the mistakes and the hypocrisy of his people and I, and I think that it's important to recognize that when, when Zacchaeus comes to Jesus and he sees Jesus, he's looking at this person, Jesus Christ. He's not looking to the left, to the right. He's not even considering the implications of this, this interactions with, with Jesus. He he's just sees that this, this one, he is, he's God. He's the son of God. He, he is my savior. And so whatever your experience is, positive or negative, when you come and encounter Jesus, you have to reckon with him regardless of the baggage around. It's, it's kind of like you, when you go and you're waiting in the lobby of, of this encounter with Christ 
and Jesus is in his office, if you can just kind of follow along with me in this illustration, you can have all kinds of baggage in the lobby, but as soon as you're called into the office, you got to leave that stuff behind. You can't say, well, Jesus, I would come to you if it weren't for these four things. Because you're still on the hook for your response with him. He's not going to say, oh, I see you brought those things, so you can't. Okay, that's fine. Well, don't come into the office today. No, you have to come and respond to him. And that's what Zacchaeus does. He responds to Jesus with joy. You know, the Bible constantly talks about joy and this idea that in, in the presence of God, there's joy. In, in obedience, there is joy. If you're a parent, you've seen this. Maybe your kid's acting wild and disobedient and, and you have to take him to the bathroom and have a conversation with him or her and a spanky spoon. And sometimes, this doesn't always happen, but sometimes after that conversation, they're so happy. Sometimes they're not. And that's because we, we pers- persevere in grace but sometimes the, the real fruit of discipline, the real fruit of the presence of that parental discipline brings about a kind of joy because things have been dealt with. The, the separation that comes from disobedience has been removed. And now there's just joy. And so Zacchaeus, he could taste and he could sense that in the presence of this man, there's going to be good things that come to me. Whatever it costs me, there are going to be good things. And as, as we're going to see, it's, it cost him quite a bit. In, in Psalm 16, it says it this way in verse 11. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, this was written by David, the same individual who had been harassed, who'd been persecuted, who'd received uh, death threats, and death attempts on his life by the person that God had placed in his life. And yet he says, you know what? When I'm walking in the path of life, when I'm responding to God appropriately, there's, there's joy, there's pleasure. Zacchaeus responds in faith and he comes down joyfully. Alternatively, in, in, uh, in a contrasting way, in verse seven, when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, we don't have any idea of who they is, but it's, it's the crowd around them, probably some of the Pharisees, but not just the Pharisees, just the people paying attention. And it says that they grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of the man who is a sinner. <laughs> Which is, why are you going to... Good for him. The guy needs it. I don't know if you've ever had a sibling growing up and 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 you the, the sibling gets help and they're like they don't deserve that help. You're like, "Well, that's not very nice." The the crowd was so focused on their own self-righteousness. And again, Jesus had talked about this that that this idea was was that Jesus ought to he ought to be with the holy quote-unquote holy people and and not with these sinners and these these people who were not holy. They were self-righteous. When, when the world looks at, at what it means to be right, what it means to have any sort of moral compass, what it means to have, if, if there is an idea of God, when the world and when, when self-righteous individuals who are not connected to God think about how to get to God or how to be right, how to be moral, it always falls on yourself. It always demands that you do good enough. 
And it always becomes this competition of, I'm doing better than this person and this person and this person, so I feel awesome. And I'm doing worse than this person, this person, and this person, so I feel terrible. But it's focused on me. It's self-focused. And that was the definition of the crowd. Jesus, or Zacchaeus saw Jesus. The crowd saw themselves either reflected or contrasted in Zacchaeus. Sometimes when we look around, we need to just kind of keep our, hand, our, our, our eyes on our own paper. For better or worse, maybe you came to church in your life, my life is in ruins, why can't I be like so-and-so? Why can't I live that way? And that's living self-righteously. Because it's saying, I have to do these things before I can get to God. When Jesus is saying, no, come to me, I've done what all it takes. Or maybe you come to church and you're thinking to yourself, hey man, these people need to get it together. And that guy's shirt is a mess. He's wearing a t-shirt on stage. Does he know? And... And again, I can tell you like a friend, I am not depending on my own righteousness to get to heaven. That's right. The crowd was was caught up in self-righteousness, but Zacchaeus saw Jesus. In in, in 2 Corinthians, it, it talks about the issue of our sin in this way. Um... And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. So he's saying for for the world that does not see Jesus, um, they don't see the gospel for what it is because it's veiled to them. It's covered up to them. And he says, uh, this is Paul speaking, and it says in verse 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, listen to this, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. The enemy of this world and our sinfulness has blinded us from being able to see the radiance of God's glory expressed in the gospel. The the amazing awesomeness of God's glory as it's expressed in the gospel. Now Zacchaeus looks down and sees Jesus, but he doesn't just see a Jewish teacher. He sees the radiance of God's glory expressed in this person, Jesus Christ, who is to be his savior. And when the crowd looks at Jesus, they see a guy. They are blinded by their self-righteousness. But Zacchaeus, to go back to him, responds because he sees. And so he responds with action. Verse 8 says this, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. Now, it's most likely they didn't run to the house at this point. He's speaking in the presence of the crowd, and he says this. Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, he's a a chief tax collector, and there's there's some sense that he has defrauded a number of people. And what's interesting is he goes above and beyond what were the standards of the day. There's Jewish literature that suggests that when you give to the poor, you should give around 20%. You know, that's generous. But he says, no, I'm going to give half of all I have to the poor. Right? He's a tax collector and he's what? Rich. And he's going to give it half of it away. And he goes on and he says, I'm going I'm to make right what I made wrong by giving four times back what I took, what I defrauded individuals. And again, when you look in the Old Testament and the rules there, that's higher, that's much higher than, than what was required. And when you see Jesus for who he is, you make radical changes in your life where people are like, no way, I, I'm so happy for you, but half? I mean, 
I'm not poor, but give me a little bit of that half before you give it to the boy. You know, I'm, I'm joking, but, but people can kind of look at you and their head might begin to spin. When, when you really get a hold of who Jesus is, when he really changes and, and transforms your life, when he challenges your expectations, when he dethrones your idols and you begin to throw those idols out, it looks weird to people who still worship those idols. Right? For people who, who trusted in money, and I mean, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you read this and you're like, that sounds ridiculous. Because maybe money is an idol for you. Maybe when you read this, you're like, I was with Zacchaeus to this point. I mean, he could have taken that money, put it in a, some, some investments and, and you know, created a, a fund and, and then helped the poor that way. You know, and, and yeah, make it right with the people, but not four times right. I mean, no one deserves four times right. But Zacchaeus responds with the kind of generosity that he recognized he's receiving. And, and there's this principle of, of scarcity and generosity in the kingdom that, that when we understand God as generous, we're generous. And when we're, when we're curmudgeonly or we're, we're, we're not generous, when we try to hold things to ourselves, sometimes that's an indication of our trust in God. Again, when, when, when a child gets lovingly disciplined and the love is restored, there's a kind of freedom that allows them to all of a sudden say to their brother or sister, you know, here, you can have my toy, and I'm sorry, and, and here, let's do this, and daddy, how can I help you with it? And all of a sudden, these actions flow out of repentance. And this, this is the gospel. Your good works that we talked about a week or two ago, your good works aren't expected to flow into this lane that gets you to God. No, Jesus has come and if you've got a relationship with him, you've looked him in the eyes and there's been an encounter of sorts. And the hope is that in seeing the generosity of Christ, your life is transformed upside down and you become generous. Zacchaeus responds by being generous. You make radical changes. Things look different. I mean, look at your life. Look at your life. How, how do you spend your money? How do you handle your relationships? What do your friends look like? What does your entertainment look like? All of these areas indicate a level of health in your soul. And if there are areas where you're like, oh man, this does not look healthy. And I would say, go back to the drawing board. You know, if it's money and you're like, you know, I love Jesus. I know that I'm saved, but I struggle with this idea of being generous toward God. I would just go back and gaze at Jesus who is gracious and merciful and makes so many promises and allow his generosity to inform your behavior. If it's relationships, you know, I, I can't extend forgiveness. I can't be generous with my forgiveness. I can't, I can't stop being bitter. I would say, go back and gaze at Jesus and consider the man who on the cross said, forgive them for I, they don't know what they're doing. When you look at Jesus, when you see his love, when you see that he's willing to stop on his way and engage you in a real life-giving interaction, when you really encounter him, it will transform all of those things. And Jesus helps us in case there's any question in verses nine and 10. Again, in the presence of the, the self-righteous individuals, in the presence of Zacchaeus and anyone else who might be listening, he says this. Today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now he says, today salvation has come to this house. 
since he's also a son of Abraham, because all of these people have been so self-righteous, you don't need to go to him. Don't go to his house. He's a sinner, right? Again, go back to the, and Luke is doing this intentionally. He had given a picture of a Pharisee, self-righteous, Jew of Jews, and, and this, this tax collector, who's kind of a, a, a bit of a traitor to his people, taxing them on behalf of Rome. And, and he says, this is, this is the righteous one, the tax collector. And he says, guys, salvation has come to him as well because he's also a son of Abraham. He's also been extended the grace of God. He's also been given an opportunity to receive mercy. If you're in this room, there aren't any obstacles that prevent you from receiving the grace of God. Maybe you're in this room and you think, I couldn't receive the grace of God. I can't be forgiven because of such and such. I can't be forgiven because of such and such. And Jesus would say, God would say, there's nothing that I can't overcome. There's nothing that I haven't overcome. You can come to me. There's nothing that, that is going to prevent you from receiving the grace of God if you will trust in me and obey. Zacchaeus received mercy because he also was a son of Abraham. And then he explains, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came so that we might encounter him. And in encountering him, we might receive him. We might trust in him as our Lord and Savior. We might take all of these other things that we trust in, our own self-righteousness, our own money, our own friends, our codependent relationships, and stop trusting in those things to make our life right and connect us with God and trust in Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life we should have lived, died to the death that we deserve, and rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and offering eternal life to us. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And listen, again, Verse two, what, is, what does he say about Zacchaeus? Or sorry, verse three. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. And what does it end with? The son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Now you may be here at church today seeking to find out about this Jesus. You know, I, I, I wanna hear what this guy has to say about Jesus. What is his opinion? What, what does he think? And I, hopefully I haven't given you my opinion. I've, I've given you what the word says. But but maybe you've come here seeking on, on some level who Jesus is. Or maybe you, you, you trust in Jesus, but you need to be, you're, you're seeking him to be reconnected with him. And I would say in either situation, Jesus has been seeking after you long before you even considered it. He's been preparing and planning for you. The Bible says in other places, before the foundations of the world. He came to seek and save the lost. And the seeking and saving that Jesus came to do was not just for the lost of his contemporary time. It was for individuals like you and me. And maybe you're in the proverbial tree today, looking down, considering Jesus. And, and in this moment, I think he would say to you, get down from the tree and come because I want to meet with you today. I want to give you what I have to give you. I don't want for you to receive what I have to take your idol of whatever it is for Zacchaeus. It was money and position and power. And I want you to throw that down and make that thing submit to, to me. Make that thing a, a servant of, of Jesus. If that's you, I would encourage you. Come down from the tree. Trust. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that, that, that you don't just leave us. You just don't leave us. That you are always 
bringing your presence to us. And you've brought your presence in the most profound way in Jesus Christ, that, that we might encounter him, even now by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. That where the Holy Spirit is present, Jesus, you're present. And I pray that we would be able to, like Zacchaeus, put our trust and faith in you, meet with you, turn away from everything we know to be sin, and trust you for life. Lord, you came to seek and save the lost of whom I am one. And I thank you for the salvation you offer. If you're in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you'd like to do that, if you want to come down from the tree, as it were, to meet with him, to live differently as a result of a new faith and trust in him, can you just raise your hand? I just want to pray with you. There's nothing magical in the praying. It's just a response to what God is saying in your heart. Father God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you that we get an opportunity time and time again to encounter you in your word by your spirit. Help us to respond in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.